Good morning. I don't know, man. That was a little weak. Good morning. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. But here's what I need to know. Who thought it was a good idea to pave in front of a church on a Sunday morning? I don't know. I don't think, I don't think they thought that through, right? Well, listen, I'm excited to be here. I'm, I'm glad to see all your smiling faces. And uh, it's a privilege just to share from God's Word. It's always a privilege for me, and I thank you for that privilege. It's summertime, right? We've canceled winter this year. <laughs> yeah, right. But the weather's great. And, you know, to be honest with you, two weeks ago there was great weather as well for the 44th running of the Chicago Marathon. Anybody running that? <laughs> Has anyone ever run a marathon? Okay, all right. That's an elite crowd. But I have a great respect, friends, for anyone who trains for and runs a marathon. I do. See, I don't necessarily like to run. In fact, I may go so far as to say I hate running. But over the years... I forced myself to run because for me, it really is the best form of cardiovascular exercise. I don't like Stairmasters. I can't stand ellipticals. I don't do spin classes. So I force myself to run. And I know that I'm not the only one. There may be some of you who hate to run as much as I do, but then do it anyway. See, it doesn't stop hundreds, even thousands of average people from running 26.2 miles. That's a marathon. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? Now, I've always thought of myself as someone who's driven to achieve. Very early on, I learned the value of setting goals and, and actually writing those goals down and then visiting them from time to time. It's a fact. It is a proven fact that people who set goals write them down, and look at them, tend to achieve more in life. So if you don't do that, I suggest you write some goals down. Set some goals for your life, life goals, work goals, spiritual goals. See, setting goals will keep you focused. So anyway, many years ago, I set a goal for myself to complete a marathon. I wanted to do it by the age of 50. So it was uh, some years ago that I began training for a Chicago Marathon. I'm not going to tell you how many years because you guys are going to sit there and do the math and try to figure out how old I am, right? Right? I'll just, I'll get it out there right now. I'm 52. What? You know, why are you guys laughing? My wife is laughing loudest. That should tell you something. But anyway, I began training following what's known as the Hal Higdon training program for marathons. And if you're at all familiar with Hal Higdon, the, the shorter runs are happen during the week, and then Saturday is, is when you do like a longer run, and those get progressively longer as you go through the program. Well, I had gotten to the point where my Saturday run was 13 miles, 13 miles. And I finished that run, and I just remember thinking, you know, that's only half the distance 
that I'm supposed to go. And I feel like this? What am I doing? Why am I punishing myself like this? What do I stand to gain? There is seemingly very little reward for completing a marathon. So why am I doing this? And then a cardiologist friend of mine, he happened to mention that, uh, you know, the human body really isn't designed to run 26 miles. That's all I had to hear, you know. So (laughs) in the interest of my best health, I quit training. So, you know, not every goal you write down is going to be achieved, but I suggest you do it anyway. Have you ever found yourself in a situation like that? You embark on some kind of a journey, a project. Maybe it was a goal that you had set for yourself. You thought about it, maybe even started in on it. And you began to wonder, why am I doing this? What's the point? Why am I putting all this effort into something? And in the end, there appears to be very little, if any, reward at all. You ever thought that way about your life as a Christian? You know, you try to do all the right stuff. You try and you try, but things just don't really seem to go your way. You get discouraged and you think, what's the point? Why am I doing this? Where's the joy? Well, if you've ever felt that way, friend, you've come to the right place today. Because this week we're continuing in our quest to understand how we can live a joy-filled life. We're studying Paul's letter to the Philippians, and I pray, friends, I really do, I pray that we are coming to understand more and more about what it means to live with and choose joy. You know, Paul wrote to the Philippian church to encourage them. He wanted to encourage them in their faith and to teach them that joy is an attitude. Joy is a choice. Joy is an approach to life rather than a reaction to it. Joy stems from our confidence in God. We trust in Him and we trust that no matter our circumstances, God is there. He's in control of every situation, and he is working out what is best for each and every one of us, whether we understand it or not. That's the source of our joy. See, it doesn't matter the the pain or the difficulties we face. Joy remains because of God's grace and God's salvation. And this is something that Paul lived this out, right? He didn't just preach this. Paul lived it. You know, we've seen over the past few weeks that Paul's circumstances, they were actually kind of terrible. They were less than ideal. Pain, injustice, imprisonment. Yet Paul chose joy. And in this letter that he wrote to the Philippians, he uses the Greek words for joy or rejoice some 16 times. And it really culminates in his exhortation. Twice he says, rejoice in the Lord. Because that's exactly what Paul did. Now our scripture for this morning is found in Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through, or 12 through 21. 
Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn in your Bibles now. Otherwise, it will be on the screen. And what Paul's going to teach us today is that there is joy in the prize. And we're going to talk a lot more about that as we go along. But before we get to that, we need to really go back to last week. Because Paul begins to build on what he talked about last week. You know, in verse 12, he says, don't put it up yet. He says, not that I have already obtained this. So it's really important to go back and understand what it is Paul is referring to when he says this. Now, there's a couple of key points that I want to remind you guys of from last week. If you recall, we learned about two very important Theology 101 words last week. I would ask if anyone remembers them. I'll give you a hint. The first one begins with an R. Paul wrote about this in verse 9. R. Righteousness. Righteousness. Paul wrote about righteousness. This is something that we, that we have to understand. We also talked about justice. We link those two words together. We have two words in the English language, but those, there's only one word group in the, both the Greek and the Hebrew. Righteousness and justice. Paul taught us last week that we cannot be found righteous on our own, right? We are not found righteous by our own works. We can never be good enough to measure up to God's perfectly righteous and just standards. Can't do it. But then here's the beauty of the gospel, right? God loves us. God loves us, friends. And that's why he sent his son to take our place and to pay the price that we deserve for the sin that's in our lives. Righteousness. That's why Paul writes this in verse 9 of chapter 3. He says, he wants to be found in him. In Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, I can't be good enough. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul knew that he, and he knew that the Philippians, and he knew that we, for that matter, cannot be righteous on our own. We need the righteousness that comes only from Christ. And we attain that righteousness through, through what? Through hard work, right? No, no. Through what? Paul says in verse 9, it's through what? Through faith. Through faith in Jesus Christ. When we place our faith in Jesus and ask him to be the Lord of our life, we are, and here's the second Theology 101 word that we learned last week begins with a J. Justified, right? We are justified. We are made right with God and we are declared innocent of our sin. We are freed from the law. We're made perfect in God's sight only by the work of the cross, only by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And then, and then, we never sin again, right? No, that's not right. Of course it's not right. We're all sinners. We know that. Even Paul was a sinner. But Paul had a goal. Paul had a goal. We read it last week from verse 10. 
of Philippians chapter 3. Anybody remember? I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. That is glorious, friends. That is absolutely glorious. And Paul's going to expound on that. And we're going to learn a lot more about the joy that comes from that as we move along. Paul wants to know Christ intimately. But so much, so much more than that, Paul wants to be like Christ. Paul wants to be like Christ. You know, we talked about this a few weeks ago, right? Christ is our model for life. Our goal should be, as Paul's was, to be like Christ. To, as he says in verse 9 there, participate in his sufferings. What does that mean, though? What does it mean that we participate in his sufferings? Well, Jesus suffered to create the gospel. We suffer, as it were, to spread the gospel, to share the truth about Jesus. You know, Peter writes about this very thing in 1 Peter chapter 4. He says, but rejoice. There's that word again. This guy's always talking about this stuff. Rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when the glory is revealed. It's really interesting because here's Peter. He also is encouraging us to choose joy, right? Rejoice. Choose joy. Joy in suffering. Joy in being like Christ. And this leads us right into the verses that we're going to study today because Paul really, he kind of takes us into another very important theology 101 word, and that is the word sanctification. Sanctification. Maybe you've heard it before, maybe you haven't, maybe you know what it means, maybe you don't, but friends, sanctification is that process of becoming more and more like Christ. So here's the gospel, all right? We believe on him as Savior, and immediately we are justified. Immediately we're justified. We're found right in the sight of God. And then we begin this process of sanctification. And we begin to exhibit more and more Christ-like attitudes and characteristics. We are becoming more and more like Christ. Not only that, but we come, become more and more free from sin. In Romans 6, Paul tells us, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. But you know, we need to understand that this is a progressive work, right? This is a process. It is a process that we go through throughout our lives. We are never fully justified in this life. But we are fully justified in the next. And this is exactly what Paul talks about in our passage today. The joy, the joy that we have in this process, the joy that we have in the end result, the joy that we have in the prize. So listen to what he says 
in verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And look, Paul right here, he's saying, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. In fact, I'm far from it. And friends, doesn't it give you a certain degree of comfort, right? That Paul, I mean, here is this, this giant of the faith, right? This, this man who wrote one-third of the New Testament. This, this, this person who, who, who met the risen Christ. And he says, I still struggle in this fallen world. He says, I still sin. In fact, in Romans chapter 7, I love this. And I'm paraphrasing here, but Paul says, look, I don't understand myself. Because what I want to do, I don't do it. And all that stuff I hate to do, that's what I find myself doing. Can anybody relate to Paul? Anybody? Am I the only one, quite honestly, seriously? But Paul goes on in Romans 7 to tell us that it is our sin nature that lives in us that causes us to sin. Now, does that then absolve us of any responsibility to resist sin? No, of course not. Of course not. In fact, Paul goes on to say, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul says, you know, look, I haven't arrived yet. I am not there. And for anybody who thinks that they have arrived or thinks that, you know, I'm good, I'm good enough, it's not true. It's not true. Paul says, I'm still a sinner. But what he tells us here is that he is not giving up. He's not giving up. And that's Paul's encouragement to the Philippians. And that's Paul's encouragement to us today as well. Don't give up. Never, ever, ever give up. Keep straining. Keep pressing on to know Christ, to grow in Christ, to become more like him. And the word that Paul uses for goal here is really reflective of the idea of a, a finish line in a race. And the word press, it speaks to the ferocity and the passion that's required to run a race well and to win. The idea is this, friends. There is nothing more important than the goal of knowing and growing in Christ, becoming more and more like Him. So we never give up. That's number one. But you know, Paul tells us something else here. Number two, he says, don't dwell on the past. He says, forget what's behind. Now, Paul's not saying that we should forget where we came from. It's very important to understand how God has worked in your life to bring you to where you are today. But what Paul is saying is really kind of threefold here. 
First, he's saying, don't dwell on past accomplishments. Don't dwell on things that you've done. You know, and that, that, this applies to individuals as well as churches because it would be really easy to sit back and say, yeah, yeah, look at how good we've done or look at how good I've done. Paul says don't dwell on past accomplishments. He says focus on the goal. Press on, strain, strain toward what's ahead. What he's also telling us is don't dwell on your past failures. Don't dwell on your past sin. Forget about that because those sins are washed away. They are nailed to the cross. See, guilt, guilt is something that Satan uses really to get you to give up, right? You know, you hear that voice saying, what's the use, you know? Here I go again. I did it again. I'm, I'm, I'm just no good. I can't do this. Friends, put those thoughts out of your mind because those are lies from the pit of hell. God loves you. God knows you. God created you. He knows everything about you, yet he loves you anyway. When I think about that, I am just amazed because I know me. And God loves me. And God sent his son to die for me? Don't dwell on your past failures. He's also telling us not to dwell on our past hurts. And I know that there's a lot of people here that have faced hurts in the past. They've been done wrong. They've been treated unjustly. But look, if anybody had reason to dwell on past injustices, it was Paul. It was Paul, but he says, no, no. Focus on the goal. Focus on the prize. Why? He tells us in verse 12, he says, because Christ Jesus took hold of me. English Standard Version says, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So we don't strive and we don't press on so that God will love us more, right? God already loves us with a love that we can't even comprehend. And we don't strain forward to gain our salvation. No, Christ has already done that for us. It's bought, it's paid for, it's done. We do, friends, what we do because of what Christ has already done for us. He's already run, won the victory. So we press on. We strive out of gratitude. He goes on in verse 15 to say, All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. There's a couple things that I just want to pull out here because this is really important. You know, we see Paul talking about those who are mature, right? And I know that there's a lot of you out there that say, you know, I, I, I'm not mature in my faith. 
I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm not mature. I'm not, I'm not there. But what's really interesting is that this word that is translated mature, it's the same word that we see in verse 12. And that word in the NIV in verse 12 is translated, arrived at my goal. The English Standard Version translates it, am already perfect. So if you really think about it, what Paul is saying here is you're really maturing in your faith if you understand that you are not mature in your faith. That's awesome, isn't it? You're maturing in your faith, you're growing in Christ if you understand that you're not perfect and you're not there yet. There should be a certain amount of comfort that comes from that. And then he says, and all those who think differently. You know, it's interesting because really what, what Paul is saying here is, is you, can't, you can't make someone else grow. You just can't do it. Just like you can't argue someone else into believing in Christ. So your job is to shine the light of the gospel. You live with the joy and peace that comes from knowing Christ. Living up to, as Paul says, to what we have already attained. We leave the rest up to God. It's all up to the power of the Holy Spirit. Doesn't that take the pressure off of you? Then in verse 17, he says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Now, Paul is not, he's not thinking more of himself than he should. He's, he's not being egotistical here. He's already admitted to us that he's not perfect, that he's not sinless. But Paul also knows that he is a good example. And why is Paul a good example? Because he's striving to be like Christ. He's pressing on. He's pressing forward. He says something very similar to the church at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. The English Standard Version says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Christ. We model our lives after those who follow after Christ. And Paul, you know, he admits that he's not the only good example. That's why this is in the plural. He says, imitate me and imitate other mature Christians who follow after Christ. So much Christian growth, friends, comes from imitating really other Christians. It speaks to the importance of mentorship, importance of having mentors, and the importance of mentoring and pouring into others. You know, Paul does too, though, have a warning for us in verse 18. He says, For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. And Paul says, I weep 
I weep for these people, these, these enemies of the cross. And we know that he may be referring to those Judaizers that he referred to earlier in chapter 3, those, those evildoers, those dogs as he referred to them. But we also know that Paul is more than likely speaking broader in the sense of false teachers in general. And, and friends, there is an application for us today because we know that there are many false teachers out there, aren't there? A lot of people preaching you know, false or, or, or even soft gospels. I think of, you know, the prosperity gospel. Everything's going to be good. Or, or a works gospel, you know, Jesus plus, you know, you got to do stuff. And, and you, you can recognize these false teachers as wolves in sheep's clothing because they never talk about the tough stuff. They never talk about the realities of sin and the consequences of sin. They don't talk about hell, friends, but all of those things are real. All of those things are real. And there's no reason to not talk about them. And these false teachers, he says, their, their destiny is eternal damnation. Their God is their appetites. And they glory in what is shameful. But, but, Paul says in verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen, amen. And this is something that really the Philippians, they would have appreciated because they were Roman citizens. They were Roman citizens, and even though they were far from Rome, they were still under Roman law. They were still under Roman customs. But what Paul is telling them, and what he's telling us today, too, is that we're citizens of heaven. We are foreigners in this world. We're just passing through on our way home. And as he wrote in chapter 1, Verse 27, if you recall, he said, we should live as citizens of heaven. Live as citizens of heaven. Live pressing on. Live striving to know Christ. Live trying to be more like him. Because we know, we know, friends, our Savior is coming again someday. Amen? Amen. How do we know that? How do we know that? Jesus told us, right? In John 14, he says, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Oh, friends, what a glorious day. What a glorious day that will be for all who believe in him. Because Paul says in verse 21, Jesus, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, here it is, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. 
we, we said this earlier today, God is incredible. Our God is omnipotent. Our God is all-powerful. He rules and he reigns over everything. And on that day, on that glorious day, we will experience, we will experience the final step in this process of sanctification. And here comes another amazing theology 101 word coming right at you. We will be glorified. We will be glorified in Christ. You know, Paul says in Romans 8 that we will be glorified with him, participating in his resurrection. Jesus had a glorified body after the resurrection. So we too will receive glorified bodies. Friends, that's the final prize. That day that we come to know Christ fully and see him face to face. And that's exactly why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, so we don't lose heart. We don't care what's going on in this world. We don't pay attention necessarily to our circumstances. No, we choose joy. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory Beyond all comparison. Paul says in Romans 8 that the struggles of this life are nothing compared to the glory that is to be revealed in us. That day that we are fully sanctified. That day that we are glorified in Christ. So are you in the race? Are you running? Are you striving after that prize? If you're here today, I know that you're not finished. Right? I mean, if you're here today, then you're probably here today, right? But if you're here today, there's really only two possible scenarios. First is this. You've never started the race. And if that's the case, friend, I beg you. I beg you. Give your life to Christ today. He died so you wouldn't have to. You can be justified. You can be made right with God. Trust in Jesus and begin that race today because there's a prize and there's joy in that prize. Or maybe you started the race years ago. But for whatever reason, maybe you quit. You stopped running. You stumbled. It's time to get back in the race. It's time to get back in the race because there is joy in serving our Savior. There's joy in the prize. May we all, as Paul says to the Corinthians, run in such a way as to get the prize. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we just stand in awe 
We are amazed at who you are. We're amazed at what you've done. The cross, the cross that justifies us and makes us righteous, the Holy Spirit that empowers us to live lives that are worthy of this calling to which we've been called, this process of sanctification. And Lord, may we find joy in that process, knowing, knowing that that day is out there, that that day is out there where we receive the prize, a glorified body, eternity spent with you. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.